Hello and welcome to the first ever Get a Game Plan podcast hosted by the Governor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness, or GOSEP. I'm Mike Steele, the Communications Director for GOSEP. For those of you not familiar with our office, GOSEP is the Louisiana State Coordinating Agency for resources needed to handle an emergency. Each parish has an Office of Emergency Preparedness Director. Should an emergency strain resources at the local level, we step in to offer state support. We also have a wide range of recovery projects, such as hazard mitigation projects to help prevent future emergencies, and public assistance or PA projects, which could involve rebuilding public buildings or infrastructure. After Katrina, that involved help rebuilding facilities like fire stations, police stations, libraries, etc. For our first show, we'll be speaking with GOSEP's Kimberly Poorball, highlighting some of the steps the state is taking to incorporate volunteers into the emergency management process. We all know about the Cajun Navy and the awesome role they played in support of our first responders during the 2016 floods. We will have tips on building your family's emergency supply kit. There may be a few items you overlook when building those kits. Our resource segment will be about the tools available to you concerning road hazards here in Louisiana. And we'll start our interviews off with Aaron Miller, the Emergency Management Director for Orleans Parish. He will highlight some of the great resources available at the local level for you to stay up to speed on any emergency we face. We start out today with our interview with Aaron Miller, the Emergency Management Director for Orleans Parish. Aaron, first of all, thanks for coming in. Your office and many of the other offices in the metro New Orleans area use social media and other resources to help keep the public informed. Tell us about some of those sites and what the overall strategy is for that communication. Sure. Thanks for having me and glad to be here to you know, discuss that, not only get our message out, but help uh, the Governor's Office of Homeland Security get their message out. I think social media and emergency management, you know, is one of the big up and coming tools, uh, particularly for local emergency managers. You know, within the city of New Orleans, we use at NOLA Ready. That's the brand for our social media outreach platforms. Uh, So we've got Twitter, we've got Facebook, uh, and we're looking at other forms of social media to be able to engage with the public. Twitter uh, really allows us to send out non-emergency messages or keep folks up to date uh, to ongoing situations. We know that you can subscribe to receive emergency text alerts, right? Sometimes things don't rise to that level, but we still want to be able to keep you aware of maybe traffic congestion surrounding a special event. The other thing that social media allows us to do, um, particularly Twitter, um, is, is to be able to embed media in uh, those messages that go out to the public. So, you know, those typical emergency messages are limited to text or voice. Um, but we can create other pieces of multimedia and embed them within Twitter, within Facebook, within things like that. Uh, you know, at NOLA Ready, as I said, is our Twitter. And we've seen a lot of success, particularly uh, this summer, and gotten a lot of great feedback from our residents and visitors. I think one of the most important things is that you can select the degree to which you want to engage with us. If you want to um, quiet those messages for a little while or you want to pause, Uh, Maybe you're a visitor and you just want to be aware of what's going on in the city. It's a great resource. We tend to not send out as many traditional news releases anymore because of all the different methods you have to get information out kind of at the state level. 
like you said, some things don't rise to the level of needing a full release. It may just be quick information involving one particular parish or something. Do you see that as, as kind of a trend? Uh, do you think people will start going to those sources, those social media sites and everything to get more information in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that we've heard from our residents and and also seen in similar sized cities is that the 24-hour news cycle means that folks consume their information in many different ways. And I think the ease at which now, um, you know, you think just over the last 10 or 12 years, the advancements that they've made with smartphones. Uh, you know, 2005, we didn't have smartphones in the same uh, context that we have them now. And folks are able to easily connect using their smartphone. And that's a way for them to, while they're on the go, uh, or, or be at work, or be in the park, or be anywhere else, and still be able to receive valuable information. Uh, and I think what we're going to see is that, um, you know, folks can continue to opt in to different means of receiving those messages uh, through their mobile devices. And I think that we will see an increase in preference of folks who select social media or other uh, mobile platforms uh, like that to be able to receive news and information and quick updates and, and tidbits. Well, I know at GOSEP, we use the Get a Game Plan sites, and we also have a GOSEP Facebook and Twitter account that we use. And that's one of the things that we have to look for. We, we kind of rely on you guys at the local level to help supply that information because we don't necessarily have first responders going out from Baton Rouge when an emergency happens. So we look for information at the local level to share on our social media site. So to me, it seems like a really good chain of information if you're relying on reliable sites. To me, that's kind of the key to it, too. You can't just randomly pick uh, who you receive information from. You need to make sure that there's some type of, of vetting with that information. Do you still see, see times where using traditional media, or should the public still use traditional media, too, to to kind of supplement uh, the information they're receiving. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the uh, things that we notice, and, and you said it, is that um, with social media and with the internet in particular, um, you have such a wide variety of sources. Um, it, it's almost like a fire hose of information. And being able to pick out the good information uh, and being able to you know rely on credible sources to give you that quick information is key. Um, with traditional media, uh, for instance, you know, the, the press conferences that we have or the, the press briefings that we have surrounding incidents or events, what I like to say is that that really helps you fill out the rest of the story, right? So you can get the headline and you can get the quick bits of information as things rapidly change during an incident or event from our social media. Uh, but we're really going to rely on the press conferences and, um, you know, our, our partners in both radio and television to be able to round out that picture and to be able to provide the rest of the context for that. The other thing is, is with those, you know, radio or with um, television, we have a little bit more of a two-way conversation that can take place. Um, many times, you know, we'll have reporters and news anchors um, uh, asking questions to be able to solicit uh, additional information. And what we see is that that's a way for um, those, those media outlets who are out talking to folks, talking to residents, talking to folks who may be impacted to get a better picture of the story and to get more information for our residents and for our visitors. I think that's a good point. You can't really get that level of detail 
uh, if you don't have the traditional media involved, whether you know whether it be newspaper, uh, television, radio, et cetera, that's that's a great point. Um, and I think one of the things that we've seen over the past couple of years, when things when the information is really flowing good, you can really develop a partnership sometimes with the media too, and that always helps because when you have this information that literally could be life saving information. You know, should a tropical system approach Louisiana or, you know, a hazmat incident, you know, certain situations, if you have that partnership and everything's kind of working in a connected type way, it's really a good thing. As far as the future, uh, what do you think the public can expect? Do you see you guys kind of expanding, you know, some of the things you're doing now or what do you see happening in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the prevalence of social media and um, sort of the availability uh, of, of folks to stay connected to not only those platforms, but to other platforms uh, is going to continue to grow. I think um, some of the things that we're looking at are ways to expand across other social media platforms um, to get out of uh, just the you know basic Twitter and Facebook uh, and into some other multimedia platforms. Um, you know, we do a lot of trainings. We do a lot of uh, preparedness information with community groups, with churches, uh, with, with local businesses and organizations. Being able to create multimedia content for them, whether that's videos, whether that's quick training scenarios, um, wrapping that information in a way uh, so that we can push it out across other social media platforms so that folks can you know, get that information. We can reach them where they are, uh, that they don't need to um, always visit the website or go pick up a pamphlet. Um, you know, stuff as easy as a quick 30-second, what we call a just-in-time training video. Uh, on any of the things that you just mentioned, making a basic emergency kit, uh, being able to post that across multimedia social media platforms, I think is going to be really important. I think the second thing is going to be increasing the two-way engagement. Um, what we see, uh, I think, particularly at local government, is that our residents want to be more engaged with local government. For instance, 311. Um, we have great participation from our residents in reporting problems to 311. And I think one of the aspects of emergency management that needs to grow is being able to engage in two ways with our residents and with our visitors who use social media. So that's not only sending out information, but that's also being able to answer questions. That's also being able to change uh, some of the information that we're sending out to be more responsive to what folks want to see or need to see. That requires staffing. I think that requires also, uh, as you mentioned, one of the biggest um, one of the biggest things within emergency services is making sure we're sending out true, valid, accurate information um, because if it isn't correct, um, particularly if it's something uh, that involves life safety, then there's a real uh, there's a real possibility there that we're doing more harm than good. So we want to make sure we're doing it right. We want to make sure we're providing clear, consistent information when we do those things. We want to make sure that you know we're in, able to engage in a way, and I think that that's going to be the the next biggest uh, push for us. We had a lot of activity with hurricane season. Fortunately for Louisiana, there weren't a lot of big issues that came up, except for a few pockets of areas. Anything going into 2018? Uh, anything you want to get out to the public? You know, I think one of the biggest things at local at the local level is we continue to see that um, you know threats within our communities change and evolve. We want to make sure that folks are connected to all the information that they need to stay prepared um, and ready to respond and keep themselves safe in a variety of emergencies. And so whether that is 
active shooter training, uh, whether that is basic emergency preparedness information. Uh, we want our residents, our business owners, uh, the folks who visit New Orleans to know that they can engage on social media uh, and look for some of those training opportunities. You know, this year we did several key training opportunities uh, in the active threat environment with community groups, with church groups, uh, and even had a full-scale exercise for an active shooter threat. Um, we want to make sure that people understand uh, that we're training for those things. We want to make sure that uh, folks within our community also have the tools that they need to feel safe and prepared. You know, so visit us uh, on Facebook at NOLA Ready on Twitter, or simply go to the website ready.nola.gov. And we've got a lot of that great local level information that's specific to our community um, and, you know, brings it back around from get a game plan like you mentioned and even from FEMA, sort of connecting what all three levels are doing to keep folks prepared and safe. All right. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. We're speaking with Aaron Miller, the Emergency Management Director for Orleans Parish. Aaron, thank you for taking time out with us. You're our first interview on our first podcast. That's something you can really tell the grandkids about there. So, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Mike. It was so glad to be here. We appreciate your partnership. You know, we always talk about it all the time in Baton Rouge. We're really fortunate here in the Orleans, uh, greater New Orleans area, to have the experience that we have with all of the agencies in each of the parishes in this region. So we're really fortunate to have that. Again, thanks for coming by. Thank you. One of the things we want to do each podcast is give you a preparedness tip. We start with building your emergency supply kit. You can find a lot of information about your emergency kits at getagameplan.org. Now, there are obvious things you need to keep in stock, like three days' supply of food, water, and other essentials, but also think about other items, such as copies of important documents, things like birth certificates, insurance papers, etc., also, medical supplies. Have information about those medical supplies in your kit. Now, we put a lot of attention on emergency kits when a hurricane threatens a state, but other events like flash floods or industrial accidents can strike at any time here in Louisiana, so keep those emergency kits stocked all the time. And that's your preparedness tip. Okay, we'll now move on to our second interview for the podcast. It's with one of my coworkers at GOSEP, Kimberly Poorbaugh, our Senior Project Coordinator. Kimberly, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mike. I'm excited to be here today. Kimberly's joining us by phone from Baton Rouge. Uh, she is directing most of GOSEP's volunteer efforts within the state, and she also helped spearhead a massive donation drive Governor Edwards ordered in support of Puerto Rico after the hurricane ravaged that country earlier this year. Kimberly, start by telling us about that donation drive. Of course, I would love to. So like you said, under guidance from Governor Edwards, GOSEP coordinated with the Louisiana National Guard and the parishes to lead a statewide donations drive to help the Hurricane Maria survivors in Puerto Rico. Because of the generous giving from Louisiana citizens, we were able to collect hundreds of diapers, non-perishable formula, baby wipes, bottles, and even in feminine care products. We both know that donation drives can sometimes do more harm than good. So for us, 
public messaging, planning, communication, collaboration, and clear guidelines were key to our success. And I would like to thank our Louisiana donors. There's not enough that we can say about their generosity because without them, this endeavor would not have been a success. Louisiana residents have been through more than their fair share of disasters, so they knew that this was one way they could help other disaster survivors and make a large impact. You know, you mentioned some of the technical issues that have to be addressed when you lead a donation drive. You know, with this drive, there were specific items asked for, and how difficult is it for an area once they're hit by a natural disaster to maybe take donations in. It's something maybe the public doesn't uh, necessarily understand right away. Right, and that's a great question because after a hurricane, tornado, any disaster that comes through and ravages an area, you have a lot of immediate issues such as infrastructure damage, property damage, power and electricity might be out. You might have issues with plumbing, and water. So with all of those damages piling on top of each other, the area that's responding is so focused on search and rescue, getting electricity and power back up, that they might not have the people, the staff, or the place to coordinate these donations. And a lot of times they might not know what they need yet. So being patient, listening to your the state, any of your parishes or your community leaders, waiting for that public messaging to come about so that we know, okay, they are able to accept donations now and this is what we need, helps us be more effective in actually helping them recover. Good point. Now kind of moving on to volunteers. Volunteers played a major role during the last few flood events in particular. Our responders, of course, saved thousands of people during the 2016 floods, but we also needed that support from the Cajun Navy and other volunteers who just got out on their own and literally helped save lives during those events. What type of role do volunteers play and what do you think that's being done to get them more involved in the emergency management process? Thank you. You are absolutely right. Volunteers actually play a vital role in disaster response and recovery. With rising disaster-related costs and declining federal resources, individual volunteers Volunteer organizations, nonprofits, and faith based groups are more important than ever. They have assisted with everything from search and rescue, like you said, crisis hotlines, feeding operations, filling and placing sandbags, warehouse and logistical support, and even mucking and gutting homes and moving debris from property to the streetway. So, For them to get more involved, one thing that um, the Lieutenant Governor's Office has set up is Volunteer Louisiana. If you visit their website at www.volunteerlouisiana.gov, it's a great way to find volunteer opportunities, to find out how you can help, where you can help, and what organizations are out there that you can join or contribute to. 
So I know one of the things that's being looked at now, GOSEP has actually had meetings with uh, some state lawmakers and members of the Cajun Navy trying to see if there's some way to kind of bring them uh, more into the fold to be an official part of that process as well. Yes, that's absolutely right. So the couple of things that we are working on is making sure that these individual volunteers or volunteer organizations like the Cajun Navy know that it's important that they are more able to maximize their efforts and make a greater impact when they get pre-certified and vetted and coordinate with their parish and or the state before, during, and after a disaster. Because response and recovery won't be successful without the hard work of the volunteers. And this collaboration allows for better communication, effective sharing of resources, and it cuts down on duplication of the efforts. So by working with the Cajun Navy, we are able to maintain a relationship with them and call them up if they're needed, and that we're able to share some of our state resources with them as well. All right. And if someone wants to help with any future emergencies we may face, what are some of the resources available for them to kind of find out more information on that? So they can stay tuned to our GOSEP website. The One of the most powerful is that Volunteer Louisiana website because during every disaster, they have all of the volunteer opportunities up there. You can also log on to Louisiana VOAD. You can log on to the Provisions Project and just listen to what's going around in your community, any churches, AmeriCorps, United Way, Red Cross, they all make sure to put out that messaging on how you can help. And Volunteer Louisiana is the means to kind of funnel all of that information on volunteer opportunities to one place. And I know with social media, going back to the 2016 floods, I know my neighborhood in particular, some of the people that had boats, some of the families in our neighborhood were actually set up almost like a supply chain going to stores and and picking up diapers and formula and different things that were needed for certain families. So with social media, I guess there's more uh, attention on the volunteer efforts, but it's also a greater chance for you to connect, you know, with some of these groups. Absolutely. Social media is a very powerful tool. And when we can collaborate with the volunteer groups, the public, and the parishes in the state, it is more of a streamlined process and you're able to make more of an impact and do good for the disaster survivors and the victims. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we hope to hear a lot more on these topics, I guess, coming up. Well, thank you so much for having me, Mike. Another thing we will do each show is have a resource segment for you and your family. Today we highlight the Louisiana Department of Transportation and Development's 511LA.org. If you haven't used this site, you're missing out. DOTD does a great job using this site along with Twitter accounts like New Orleans Traffic, Baton Rouge Traffic, and North Shore Traffic to keep the public informed about problems on our roadways. All of the technology in the traffic management centers across the state and the interstate camera systems are used to keep you in the loop with problems on our roadways. 
This is also a site we direct everyone to during an emergency like an ice storm, a flood, or any other weather event impacting our roads. And that's your emergency resource segment. for joining us for our first ever Get a Game Plan podcast. We want to thank Aaron Miller and Kimberly Poorbaugh for joining us. Also, for more information on the topics we talked about today, go to getagameplan.org and don't forget to follow GOSEP on Facebook and Twitter. This podcast is produced in partnership with LOPA and the Gifted Life Podcast. Find out more about organ, eye, and tissue donation by listening to the Gifted Life Podcast at thegiftedlife.org or download it from your favorite podcast app.